That was the same with uh, Secrets of Dumbledore for me. It was just like, oh man, I also forgot that like J.K. Rowling even rips herself off a lot in that movie. <laughs> yeah, well, she was ran out of other people to rip off. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster in San Diego, California, that is you. And you, Cassidy Robinson, recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. And today we are going to be talking about our top 10 and bottom 5 films of 2022. Uh, I gave us a little bit of breathing room. We skipped a week in case we wanted to fit in anything we hadn't covered on the show. Um, and I know in our personal lives, we probably watched some stuff that we didn't cover. Uh, maybe it was, you know, weeks or months after the initial release. So, you know, we'll find out if they end up on either of our lists. But I actually did not really use my time off. I kind of took a movie break. Oh, I mean, sometimes you need that. I didn't. Um, I actually... You crammed? Yeah, I caught up with a, a couple uh, couple ones that I wanted to round out by the end of the year, so... Yeah, there's a couple that I didn't, that I didn't get to that I really wanted to. Um, I really wanted to see Tar and didn't get to, and I really wanted to see After Sun and didn't get to. Those are the two main ones. I thought I probably should see Babylon, but it's just, it's very three hours. Yeah. And, and I just wasn't hearing good enough things about it to well, make it I, seem I like an essential... Just, you know, we also just sat through... You know, three-hour-long Avatar, which, I mm -hmm. mean, I'm certain that has made an impact on Babylon's box office. Like, yeah, you know, if it was 90 minutes or whatever, like, then I, it's a lot easier to squeeze in. But, um, man, like, stop with the three-hour-long movies. Right. People. Well, it didn't, it didn't stop Avatar from making the bag because it's... Oh, I no, think it's already, but... like, number two biggest grossing movie of all time or something like that, which means it almost broke even. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll get to those movies when I get to them, but uh, unfortunately, I did, they will not be on my list because, because of that, as well as a few others that you probably have noticed on other lists that are out there, but... I did ask this question to our listeners first, what their favorite movies were. We got answers all over social media. So I'm going to start here on the MacGuffin Podcast's uh, Facebook page. A uh, friend of the show, Ted Bonman, says, Everything, everywhere, all at once. Rocketed to my on onto my favorite movies ever list immediately. And it stayed there after I've had time to sit with it. I think this is another member of the of your old uh, comedy troupe, um, Tiffany Briscoe. She also says everything, everywhere, all at once, or Babylon. So we got we got some praise for Babylon. 
She says, I'm hedging because I tend to be very prisoner of the moment, but Babylon was so, so good. So she's saying maybe some recency bias there, but she's a fan. So that is actually the first I've seen of someone really going hard for that. We got another comment from Chris Crampton from Facebook says, Prey was his favorite. And he says, No Exit, Nope, and Glass Onion were pretty high up there, too. He says, Least favorite was See How They Run, um, which I actually had to look up what that even was. But that was one of those, it's it's like a mystery thriller with way too many famous people in it. Oh, okay. The name sounds vaguely familiar, but um, I can't. It kind of flopped, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, this is like a... Uh, Sam Rockwell and uh, Saoirse Ronan, and it's like a period mystery, crime comedy. Yeah, yeah. I always got I always got that one mixed up in my head with the uh, uh, the David O. Russell one. He released one that oh, was very Amsterdam? similar. Yeah, yeah. I just I saw that. I remember seeing the trailer for Amsterdam a ton, uh, mm. but then. I just didn't see it. I don't know. I heard it wasn't very good, so. Right. And from Twitter, Liz K. Go says everything everywhere all at once. So then the rest of these are from Instagram, which seems to be where everyone's kind of flocked from the, now that everyone's sort of exodused from the other major apps. So if you're not following us on Instagram, uh, we posted this in our stories, uh, and I collected the answers there. But Marilyn says everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, Paige Turner says the Northman. Okay. Uh, Christopher Hull says uh, massive talent. That was the Nicolas uh, Cage one. What was the full title for that? Uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes, that's a very Christopher answer. Uh, Peter Parker Thomas says the Northman, the menu, or everything everywhere. And Jenaniah says everything everywhere. And Podhead Rod, friend of the show, uh, from the uh, Listening Party podcast and Taco Tuesday. Says uh, his wife, Denise, liked Marcel the shell with shoes on. And he says, I'm terrible at choosing. So he didn't pick one. <laughs> I uh, I heard good things about Marcel the shell, but. Um, mm-hmm. I, I always liked the little skits, but and I meant to see the movie, but I, I didn't get to. But it's probably streaming now, I would imagine. Yeah, probably somewhere. Uh, you might have to pay for it, but. Yeah. And you said you had some on your personal uh, social yeah, media? Uh, I also posted this to my stories. And uh, Rooney Ray Major, uh, she said RRR. Oh, okay. And and then this one was kind of fun. Uh, J-Bags Bagley said Dune. And I said, 2022, bud. And he said, shit, was Dune not 2022? And I was <laughs> like, 2021, my friend. And so he said Damn. Um, okay, Glass Onion. <laughs> uh, yes, actually, this year we'll finally get the uh, second part of Dune. Um, Dune Part 2, or yeah, they, Tune, if you will. 
I won't. Um, but oh, that, I will. <laughs> that came out, uh, or they just finished wrapping the uh, principal photography on that. So uh, that's going to be in post until the end of the year. And hopefully we'll get to see that before 2024. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. We'll start here at number 10. We'll go back and forth. And if you want to start, you can go ahead. What is your number 10 favorite movie of 2022? Yeah. uh, So my number 10, I feel like there was the most competition for like my 9 and 10 spot this year. Um, I feel like the top five was pretty locked in, but there was just a lot of, ooh, does does this actually make it? Or, you know, I guess I'll bump that. Um, but my number 10 was Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Oh, wow. Uh, that high. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the reason it might have bumped out some of the competition is just because comedy, just straight comedy movies are becoming more and more few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this one kind of came out of nowhere, did it, did it well, did the biopic thing. It was a very fresh take on a, on that idea. Um, and I just thought it was genuinely funny. So I had to give a little bit of uh, extra credit just for being a straight up funny comedy. Yeah, totally. I enjoyed it. It didn't make my top 10, but I thought that it was a nice little surprise towards the end of the year. Yeah, and, uh, and this it is was my top ten, not yours. It was free to watch on Roku, and I believe probably still is. So if you haven't seen it yet, it's a good time. Yeah, just a, a delightful surprise that that edged out some some pretty uh, pretty tough competition, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, my number ten, Barbarian, the horror oh, film. Oh, interesting. Okay. By Zach Kreger from The Whitest Kid You Know, speaking of comedy. Though Barbarian is not necessarily a comedy, or certainly not that kind of comedy. It is a, first and foremost, a horror film with funny parts. But, uh... Yeah, I even... When I saw this, before I saw it, because um, Ashley wasn't sure if she wanted to see it or not... I asked some friends who'd seen it, and a lot of people were describing it as a horror comedy. I wouldn't even necessarily go that far. I would straight up say it's a horror movie with some pretty funny stuff. Yeah, no, I would primarily call it a horror film. Um, and it, it's a really well done one. Very atmospheric, very well designed, very well shot. I really love the interiors, the sets. Uh, there's a sense of claustrophobia in the movie that is uh, done really well. I think there's a little bit of, I mean, there's a few different messages kind of going on in the movie. One about class struggle and uh, gentrification, and then another about sort of the Me Too era. Um, and I think both of those are addressed in in a way that does not sell out the genre or dictate the entertainment quality of the film like it, it's it's not beating you over the head with the with the messaging it's just telling the story as naturally as possible yeah um and it's 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 really well done and had tons of twists and yeah i mean at times genuinely scary yeah yeah 
possibly one of the most one of the most scared moments I've ever had in a theater. Okay, I wouldn't go that far, but I I mean I thought there was some some scenes of good tension. Sure. What about what's your number nine? Uh, my number nine, and this one might be a case of uh, recency bias because this was one that I did just catch up with. Uh, on our little break, but uh, I really enjoyed it. So squeaking in my number nine is The Menu. Oh, okay. Movies about art are, and and like the creation of art and artist struggle are kind of a dime a dozen. Mm. Um, uh, But this one I think spoke to me because it's, it's more about the struggle of art in the modern era and uh, really dark and really funny a a really good ensemble cast as well and another career highlight for Rafe Fiennes I just I really enjoyed this movie I did not I didn't know what I was getting into going into it and I just uh, thought it was a a blast yeah it's, it's interesting you know this movie came out well I guess it depends right so you could say it came out after the short theatrical run of Knives Out, but before most people saw Knives Out on streaming. Um, Glass Onion? Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel. Uh, And there's a lot of similarities between the plots. Yeah, uh, very much, um, you know, there's a lot of comment on uh, class and, and the elites. Um, yeah, and sort of like influencer culture and uh, art as a commodity and, uh, you know, the idea of like selling yourself as a genius. And there's a, there's a lot of weird overlap, but they're, I mean, tonally very different. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the menu a lot. Um, my number nine is RRR, which was uh, somebody's pick from our audience. Um the Hindi action musical. One will I'll give the three-hour pass to. Yeah, yeah. Th- makes good use of its runtime. Um, it's very well paced, considering. Never a, a dull moment. You know, it has a very mythic, uh, epic structure to the storytelling in terms of, you know, this sort of revenge story and this double agent story. And betrayal, and all it has all these big classical tropes that that you see in this type of melodrama, but done to the utmost, done to the nth degree with action scenes and dance sequences and extreme violence and <laughs> and uh, romance, and I mean, it, it's just it's. You know, it's just an explosive love of cinema, of going to the movies. Totally, yeah. Uh, the movie, this movie is a blast. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, if you if you haven't caught it yet, it's been on Netflix. You know, there's a reason why. You know, of all the Bollywood movies that are made, this one caught a lot of people's attention over here in the West. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed to really uh, find its audience over here. Mm-hmm. So what is your number eight? Uh, my number eight was another streaming exclusive, uh, Prey, presented by Hulu. This 
is just a uh, back to basics for the Predator franchise, uh, but doing it as good as you can do it. Like, let's simplify the story back to that original, you know, uh, uh, woman versus alien tension and trying to make that as good as possible as as intriguing as is um incredible update to the predator creature design some incredible action just a really cool movie this is one of many that on my list that i will say i wish i had gotten to see in theaters i feel like it 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 deserved a big screen treatment uh, it's so good, it got me interested in the Predator franchise, which I was done with after the uh, uh, the 2018 uh, Shane Black Predator. Right. Uh, in general, I felt like this franchise has been uh, running on fumes for a while now. And then this came out and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm all in. Give me more Predator all of a sudden. A, a really cool concept. Uh, that doesn't have to deal with continuity and all this bullshit from all these other movies. Uh, and uh, an incredible performance by uh, Amber Midthunder and uh, a dog, a very good dog. Oh, yes, there was a good dog in that movie. Um, I might be coming back to that one later in the list. <laughs> um my number eight is uh, the Adam Sandler streamer Hustle, um, which, you know, I've been looking at a lot of the lists that are out there right now, um, stuff that's been published in the last few weeks, and I've not seen that one anywhere, and I'm a little surprised. I I think it's, it's one of those movies that suffers from... Um the time of the year it came out and they're just being too much good this year. Like if this had come out, you know, uh, on a relatively light year, then I think it would have stood out a lot more to people. Mm -hmm. Um, but this year was pretty stacked for quality, you know, non franchise movies uh, so I, I think it just kind of got lost in the shuffle because, you know, in in terms of story, it's not as big and as epic as as some that came out this year. So I, I can see why, you know, the, the personal character drama is a little more forgettable. But I don't think that is a statement about the movie at all. Uh, this is actually on my honorable mentions list because... Uh, it, yeah, it's just a solid sports drama. Like, it, it, it's just a really good, uh, it does what it does really good. And it's uh, another great uh, understated performance by Adam Sandler. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's what I would have said. Yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed the movie a great deal. And I liked I liked how understated it was. Because I think even within mm-hmm. this... You know, Adam Sandler sort of has his two modes. He has his for your consideration, and he has the for your money. And yeah. this is yeah. kind of neither. It's a good movie without being. It's a good drama without being devastating, in the mm-hmm. same way that like uh, Uncut Gems or or Punch Drunk Love is. Um, yeah, 
it's, and, it, and it's a feel-good movie without being schmaltzy, like, um, uh, you know, like, what was the Sandra Bullock football movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Blind Side. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, it's an uplifting movie. Well, it, it, does a, it does really well with the sports with the sports drama kind of thing. And we, I mean, we see, I guess we've seen the, a little bit of this in something like Jerry Maguire. Although that movie, like maybe it's even a little bigger than this um, because this is really focusing in on the relationship between Adam Sandler as a sports scout and this basketball player, this um, uh, Spanish basketball player. And really just, it's a two hander. Doesn't need to reinvent the wheel, but it just does it really, really well. It's 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 one of the best arguments for why you don't need to reinvent the wheel sometimes. Like just let likable actors be likable in a script that doesn't insult your intelligence and gives the actors enough room to breathe and live in the scenery. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, and I just I, enjoyed, I, I just enjoyed it on that level that it just was totally competent at what I was trying to do. Absolutely. Uh, my number seven, uh, you already talked about a little bit. R R R. This movie just totally caught me off guard. I, I the only reason I even picked up on its radar was because uh, at the time there was a lot of hype on Twitter for it, and I was like, mm-hmm. all right, let's check it out. And, you know, after uh, we watched the first 15, 20 minutes, like the character introductions, uh, me and my wife were hooked. Is this like the best movie ever? (laughs) Uh, You know, it's just it's it's got everything. It's got heart. It's got action. It's got music. Uh, I don't have too much to say that you didn't already say. But, um, uh, yeah, it's just uh, 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 came out of nowhere kind of thing. Um, that I almost forgot about, even though I made like two or three people watch the first 20 minutes just so they would get hooked to it, just like I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I, I concur, obviously. Uh, another movie that I wish I had gotten to see in theaters this year. Um, that, to me, is, is the big theme of my list. It's just like, well, that's a bummer I didn't get to see that one. Bummer yeah. I didn't get to see the menu in theaters. Bummer, ah. Weird Al didn't make the theaters. Bummer, <laughs> Prey. Bummer, R- I right. missed the weak window where I could have seen RRR. Yeah, yeah. I, I I have a pretty good mix here of streamers and stuff I saw in theater. I did see the menu in theater. I reviewed that on uh, on the podcast with friend of the show, Ashley. But, uh, yeah, a lot of these I, I did catch later or were only released on streaming. Uh, my number seven is The Fablemans, which we recently talked about. This was a bit of a surprise for me. I mean, I definitely knew what I was getting into. I saw the trailer. I knew kind of what it was about. But I think the reason it's more interesting than kind of what they're selling it as, which is like Steven Spielberg, watch him fall in love with cinema as a child, um, which could be really gauzy and maudlin and sort of reductive. I mean, you know, every Oscar season, there's five or six of these, the joy of cinema movies. (laughs) Um, And sometimes they're great. And sometimes 
they're fun for that like two months and then you never end up wanting to watch it again. Uh, but I think the reason that this movie stood out to me was it's more of a story about a divorce, but just mm -hmm. through the eyes of of the child as opposed to, you know, the adults involved and, and sort of him trying to make sense out of it through art. And that's his arc as a character, you know, which is loosely based on Steven Spielberg as a person, um, or maybe not that loose at all. But, but I think, you know, that, that emotional component to the story is key in making this more than just lights, camera, action, flickering, uh, eight millimeter train set stuff, which I, I'm all for as well, and it's a big part of who he is, and and I think that that makes its way in there, the sentimental aspects of Steven Spielberg. I think, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was Kushner who kind of reined that in a little bit and was able to shape something more, a little bit more prickly than it could have been, a little less easy than it could have been. Or if that was uh, Steven Spielberg's input, but it was it was the right choice to make for that movie, and I think it's full of great performances. And even if by the first twenty minutes you think you know what movie it is, I think by the end of the movie you you might be surprised with what a, what you really end up getting out of it. Sure, yeah. Uh, my number six, probably the biggest movie this summer, uh, Top Gun Maverick. Um, I was surprised this, this didn't come up in any of our audience picks because that was like the populist movie of the year until Avatar. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think I think there's a couple reasons. Uh, again, I think it's just this year was stacked with really good movies. And, um, you know, it's it's been a long time since uh may or june or whenever it came out it, you know so mm -hmm. it, it feels it feels almost older than 2022 by now for some reason um because 2022 felt like it lasted a really long time to me at least yeah it um, was in the theater for a long time though like it they it was they kept it was. it was like an old like you know before 1998 when movies would be in a theater longer than a month Totally. And that's, <laughs> I think, a big part of why I enjoyed it so much. Uh, it's just this, you know, it's it's just the epitome of a summer action movie. Uh, it And it does it well. It, you know, it, it delivers on all the things it needs to. It pays off the sequel nostalgia, but in a way that's not obnoxious, in a way that you don't even really have to have seen the first one to understand and appreciate what's going on here uh and it's just a, a solid action film that it is sort of the epitome of a, a you know a crowd-pleasing movie you know kind of the same thing with what you were saying about hustle uh, it it doesn't it doesn't need to show us anything that we haven't necessarily seen in theaters before although maybe some of the cockpit footage is a little more intense than than we might have seen before, but it just does it so competently uh, that you can't help but be entertained by it. 
Yeah, credit to Joseph Kaczynski for really finding a style that advances what Tony Scott did in the 80s, but also honors it honors it and it doesn't feel jarring it's it's it doesn't feel like we're going from tim burton to joel schumacher it feels it feels like it's the same universe it feels like it's a little bit mature or matured more since the type of stuff that tony scott was doing in the 80s but still feels of that world yeah yeah absolutely perfect popcorn movie Mm -hmm. um my Number six, uh, you talked about already, is Hulu's Prey. This is one of those ones where I was, I wasn't dreading it exactly. I'd heard good things, but I was like, I didn't have a ton of faith in it going into it because of the series of of bad Predator movies we've had since basically Predator 2. Um, (laughs) And so I was like, all right, whatever, I'll... You know, I hit play and without even realizing it by the midway point, I'm just like, this kicks ass. (laughs) Like, this is a really good Predator movie. Like, this is so good that every other Predator movie that's come before it, at least since the first one, is should be kind of embarrassed because it's almost (laughs) effortlessly awesome. Like, it it's probably has a much lower budget than a lot of them and makes better use of that and actually has a sense of thrill and adventure and tension that mm-hmm. had almost completely been evaporated by the time you get to Alien versus Predator. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was just done with it. It's just like... Mm-hmm. The the franchise before this came out just tasted like, you know, watered down diluted diet coke, like just nothing that you want to drink. Right. Um. And by the time, yeah, I think what really helped this movie, besides the fact that the the director uh, Trachtenberg, I believe is his uh, last name, the guy who did Ten Cloverfield Lane. He did a very good job with it. Um. You have the you know the the natural setting of the plains uh, of America, the Badlands or somewhere in kind of mid-country, and uh, setting it in America's past. So you you, you set it in a time before um, Gatlin guns and bomb tripwires and bombs and stuff, and you take you take away basically everything and leave uh, you know this native character with with nothing but her her wits. And what she can build on the fly. And, you know, you turn that last 20 minutes or 15 minutes of Predator 1 where he where he has to build his own traps and extend that premise throughout the whole thing. Because that's all there is. Um, it's just really, really well done. And I think there's, you know, between this and RRR and a few others, there's been this, this kind of this theme of like anti-colonialism that's popped up a lot throughout the year. And I think that uh, this movie, again, weaves that in very naturally uh, without, without like beating you over the head with it. Like if you, if you, if you notice it, you notice it, 
but the movie's not certainly dependent on that on that messaging either because it just works as a action thriller. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I too wish I could have seen it in theater because it's shot really, really well. Yeah, it is a gorgeous movie. All right. All right. We're in Are our we top five it? now. Top five. Oh, dang. I. Why do you have to put it that way? Uh, no, like <laughs> I said, I, I feel like my top five has been pretty solidly locked. Uh, my Starting with number five, uh, The Northman by Robert Eggers. Um this movie, I think, is sort of the the culmination of Robert Eggers' obsessions with, you know, magical realism and history nerd aesthetic. Uh, just a really cool tale of blood and revenge. An interesting uh, version of the Hamlet story. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård is great in this. Everyone's great in this. Nicole Kidman, Klaus Bang, mm-hmm. uh, Klaus Bang, Anya Taylor Joy, like just a really cool cast, a super badass historical Viking epic. I have liked all of Robert Eggers' stuff. I think this is the one that edges the furthest away from horror. Yeah, but I'm not going to say that I prefer that because I still uh, love The Lighthouse and The Witch a lot. Um, but just, I don't know, there's, there's just something about the, the setting and, uh, particularly the use of magic in this movie, I found specifically, but I, I felt like the magic was done in in just really cool, interesting ways, uh, that blends, you know, this sort of fantasy elements with reality and, you know, is it actually magic or are the characters just interpreting coincidences this way as they would have? Like, Yeah, that's kind of been the through line of Robert Edgar's work thus far is that idea of if you go far enough in the past, pre-science or pre-modern age, whatever, pre-age mm. of enlightenment, that the the line between magic and philosophy and science and alchemy and all and the occult and all of this stuff is pretty much non-existent because we're just trusting what we have any kind of cultural context to describe um and that might be totally natural or totally fantastic depending on where you're from and who's talking to you Absolutely. And, 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 and he sort of envisions the, these worlds through the eyes of these characters, through the, the, the mind's eye of these characters. So the, the worlds feel as magic as they believe in. Totally. And yeah. the nature and, of and belief in, itself. In particularly the way he weaves that into the plot mechanics of this, I thought mm-hmm. were just very cool. Yeah. Uh, just these very uh, uh, interesting you know, scenic moments um, where you can both see the magic and the reality at the same time. I just, uh, uh, yeah, very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The Northman is my number five as well. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, I'm, I've, I've been a fan of Edgar's since the witch and I, I just love where he's coming from as a storyteller and as, as a, as a filmmaker, and 
I love his sense of historicity or his take on it. And this has probably been his most like populist movie so far. It's like it veers a a little bit further away from just like strictly art movie kind of stuff, but definitely still has that in there. And the action sequences are really, really well done. Um, There's, some incredible camera technique in this movie of sort of the wandering camera stuff or dolly shots or crane shots that are very difficult to pull off. Um, and I, you know, there's a vanity fair does these great videos with directors, um, that you can watch on YouTube where they'll, they'll actually just, they'll, they'll dissect a scene and tell you step by step how they accomplish a scene. And, you know, there's a, that that first shot we see of adult Amleth when he's rowing with his his uh, berserker tribe, mm-hmm. um, and it's a single camera take that starts in the bushes and goes over the stream that they're in, turns to face the uh, rowers, and then moves slowly along until it focuses in on adult Amleth, which is the first time we see him after he ran away as a kid. And it's all this single fluid shot that you would, you know, shots like that you just kind of take for granted. You're like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's, they're just telling the story. But like the actual mechanics of doing that, especially when you're dealing with like water and, and there was a, (laughs) there's an actual cast member uh, one of the rowers that to be able to get the shot to focus in on Skarsgård correctly, as soon as the camera passes him, he had to hop off the side of the of oh the God. of the raft so that he wow. wouldn't be in the shot anymore. <laughs> so it's wow. all very like meticulously timed, and, and it's beautifully shot. Uh, him and Jaron Blaschke, who who uh, been working together since um, their short film days. Uh, you know, from a shot like that, which is just like a, a an establishing shot, feels totally epic to the end of the movie where they're fighting nude with swords on the side of a Icelandic uh, volcano. It's all of a piece. Yeah, absolutely. Just a cool ass movie. Yeah. Uh, Number oh, four. Okay, so um, that's kind of funny that we were had the same one there. <laughs> Uh, my number four movie is The Batman, uh, directed by Matt Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, this was this is the the type of Batman movie I've wanted for a long time. One that focuses more on him as a detective than you know than an action superhero. Um, the the world of Gotham that Matt Reeves creates is just dripping in atmosphere, you know, modern gothic style, some incredible supporting work by Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Yeah, I just, I really liked the interpretation of the Riddler as this Zodiac killer by way of 4chan. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, kind of a, a franchise that has been done dirty for a while now pretty much since the dark knight rises uh and then it got all muddied with all this justice league nonsense 
it was really nice to just see a Batman adventure. And I think this one in particular felt a little more close to the way a, a Batman comic would read. Uh, and I also think the best Batsuit and Batmobile to date. Yeah, this is a strong piece of work. I mean, there's been a lot of great Batman movies, and they're all very different interpretations. I think this one definitely sort of realizes Batman in terms of the Dark Knight living in a really derelict, crime-ridden, hellish cityscape in a way yeah. that doesn't feel... It doesn't have that, like, Burton-esque, uh, everything's-on-a-soundstage kind of super-pulpy yeah, quality to it. and grimy and lived in. Yeah. But it also doesn't feel like super modern like the Nolan take where it's like clearly this is Chicago or clearly this is Detroit or wherever like yeah and, um, and it's not it feels kind of like nowhere and everywhere at the same time it has kind exactly. of a, a dreamscape quality to it yeah and it, it's not necessarily obsessed with grounding things the mm -hmm. way that it, it felt like Nolan wanted to do um which you know for some of what Nolan did worked really well um and, you know, for all of our thoughts on this, on all the Batman movies, you can go and listen to our Batman retrospective where we break them all down in more detail. Um, but, yeah, the, it, uh, I think this is the only superhero movie that made the cut this year. So that's saying something for me. <laughs> oh, OK. Um, my number four is The Banshees of Inishirin. Uh, starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson uh, by Martin McDonough. Uh, this is another like great two-hander, uh, very minimal kind of story. It's a very like quiet, interior, intimate story about two friends falling apart uh, amidst the eve of the Irish Civil War happening in the background. And kind of a uh, cliche to call something like a tone poem. If there's ever been a contender for calling something that this year, that is certainly this movie. And I think it has all the stuff you like Martin McDonough for, for the quippy dialogue and the great uh, actors' performances. Um, and, you know, weird, quirky stuff like, you know, the animals in the movie and stuff like that. But it's also, there's there's something a little bit more, like, bruised and anguished than even his uh, other cinematic work we've seen. Uh, I, I This one doesn't, like, blow you out of the water while you're watching it. It's not like RRR where you walk away with your hair blown back. But <laughs> yeah. it kind of, like, sat with me longer and just the more I thought about it, the more I appreciated it and the more it kind of creeped up my list throughout the year. I agree completely. I agree. In fact, so much that it is my number three. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's just, this movie kind of stuck to my ribs, uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting. I actually didn't even want to see it. I remember I was kind of grumpy about having to go and see it because I like I 
it just looked really boring and you know it's a it's an irish period piece and just oh god uh but i i really like martin mcdonough um so you know i was willing to give it a chance and i i was just afraid for some reason i was gonna just be bored out of my skull um just the marketing of this movie didn't really do it any favors well, it's sort of impossible to market. I don't know how it you... It is. It what kind really of trailer is. do you cut for this? Other than, like, something you would show at, you know, the Arrow or the Cinematheque or something like that. Like, that type of audience. Oh, I absolutely. I, I completely understand why. Yeah. Um, I just... I was, like I said, just grumpy about it. And then as it starts to unfold, just the depth of the characters and the story... And just the, the the beauty of this movie, this, like, tragic, melancholic, lonely, like, he, he finds this beauty and loneliness that it, I think is very hard to, uh, to pull off without being morose. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's funny when it needs to be, it's heartbreaking when it needs to be. Uh, I, I think much like... The Northman is sort of the the pinnacle of Robert Eggers' obsessions. I I think you know the same of this and Martin McDonough. It just it, it just is him firing on all cylinders and you know creating this character drama that feels both intimate and in a way kind of mythic. Like the mm-hmm. the way the story plays out almost you know feels like something that would live on in, like, folklore or something. I was absolutely charmed and uh, surprised by this one. Yeah, and, the, you know, the lead performances uh, by Glee- Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell are... The, I mean, we've seen them be great together before in, in Bruges and whatnot, but they're so reliably awesome yeah. when, when you put them together and give them something to do. Yeah, there, there's something that feels both relaxed and playful about their performance, and also just, like, it's cool to watch people who are good at their craft being good at their craft, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what it is. And this is no exception. It is just, you know, it is a performer showcase, and it's fun to just watch them be great together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My number three is Bones and All by Luca Guadagnino. You know, it's, we talked about this uh, somewhat recently, but I I was kind of taken aback by this movie. I think there's, you know, unlike Banshees, which is difficult to market because there's not like a, a wow factor to it. There's not like great trailer cuts. That you, you know, scenes that are built for trailers. This movie has that. You can sell this movie as one thing, but it's going to, it's not necessarily what audiences are going to get out of it. One way to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a movie, it's a pretty brutal movie about teenage runaway cannibals. And it does not hold back on that premise, but it's also not that either. It's not like just a horror film. In fact, it's almost incidental to what the move, what's happening in the movie it has much more to do with isolation and feeling like you're 
you don't have an in-group and feeling like you have nowhere to run and aimlessness and then hopelessness, but sharing that experience with somebody else and then that relationship having a toxic element because you're essentially, you're trying to find, you know, your way of being whole through another person in a, in a sort of uh, codependent sort of way, uh, which can resonate with a lot of young people, obviously. Um, but it's also, you know, can uh, you can extend that metaphor in several different ways. And I, I really love the way the movie's shot. I really love the way, uh, I think the period detail in here of the like, mid-1980s is done, like, spot on. Like, even... You know, every cheap house therein has like the uh, the paneling on the walls and the 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 nicotine stained sheets and you know, uh, Guadagnino is so great at creating a five senses experience in all of his movies, um, and, and this this one's no different um, as far as that goes, but. Lots of weird, interesting performances in here. Mark Rylance, I think, gives a a career standout. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the leads, Timothy Chalamet and Taylor Russell, are both really good together. Yeah, there's something haunting about this movie. But also sort of sad and yearning. And disgusting. Which yeah. I'll, I'll give points to that as well. Uh yeah, I I found this movie I think maybe a little more difficult. Um I still am not sure how I feel about it. Uh and I still really didn't like the ending to this one, but I don't think that anything you said is untrue and I probably could have bet money that this would have been on your list. <laughs> <laughs> number uh, 2. Number 2. Uh my number 2 movie of the year uh, was one that you already mentioned, uh, Barbarian. Um, oh, wow. Actually, yeah. I thought that because uh, you didn't say anything about it earlier that it would be... For some reason, I thought it didn't make it to your list, which surprised me. But it surprised me maybe even more that it's this high. But explain. Yeah, it, it just... You know, oftentimes when I rank these movies, it's, it's kind of ranked by my... It, not just the movie itself, but my experience with the movie. And uh, like I said, I this movie had moments that I don't think I have ever jumped in my seat the way I did at this. Like, just felt visceral fear. Uh, <laughs> because the, the way the tension was set up was just so precise and well done. Um, I really just, I love the the world that's sort of created uh, this monstrous grotesque. There was just something about this movie that uh, I, I found terrifying when it needed to be, but then it also was able to let off of that tension in ways that it needed to, you know, it, it wasn't just 90, you know, 90 minutes of dread. It was, really well i think balanced and uh, just a really well done horror movie i enjoyed the film i was a little surprised that it ended up on my top 10 
Um, I thought there might. I thought it eventually would get shuffled off uh, throughout well, the this, year because there was there were some a, writing elements that I struggle with in the movie, but for the most part, I I think it just uh, is so well put together on a technical level. I can overlook some of the nonsensical. You know, I, horror movie cliches. I I also think some of your things that you think are nonsensical aren't as nonsensical as you. It might feel like they are. I don't know. Uh, but again, we discussed this on on our individual review. Uh, I mean, this was a this was such a good year for horror movies. This was a um, big year for horror movies. I mean, half my list is horror horror adjacent, and there's still a lot of them, a lot of great ones that. That are probably in my honorable mentions. Yeah, same here. Um, I think and a lot that I didn't even see that I heard great things about. For sure, I I think there's a reason for that. I think horror is is one of the few movies or one of the few genres right now where producers are willing to take a, a little bit more of a risk because most of you know most of them can be produced fairly inexpensively. And, you know, if they have a, a, a good hook, you know, it makes sense to me why this is where all of the original screenplays are coming from right now. You know, n- not franchise stuff that, you know, every you often hear about people complaining about there's no original thoughts in Hollywood anymore and, and everything's remakes or sequels or and that is true to a certain extent when we're talking about these big budget franchise things um but right now i think a genre like horror can really thrive because it's maybe getting a little more attention that it wouldn't normally if the mid-budget drama and comedy hadn't been basically erased from existence well or just moved to Streaming, streaming yeah, and yeah. television. Yeah, I agree. Um, in fact, uh, keeping up on that theme, my number two is Pearl, uh, which right. was okay. the follow-up to Ty West's other um, horror movie, X. While I enjoyed X for what it was, you know, this kind of grimy... Uh, throwback to 70s exploitation, um, Tobe Hooper style gore fest, uh, with, with a little bit of black comedy in it. I thought Pearl was like such a advancement on that idea that it would give you a nosebleed. Uh, yeah. It, it, again, it's, it's sort of celebration of cinema. He does it within the context of, a horror film, but it's so much more than that. Like it's, it, it you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not the what, but the how of this movie, like the, mm-hmm. the style uh, is just dripping from every single frame. And it's stuff. I didn't even know he was in his toolkit. I've seen most of his movies. I've liked most of his movies. Um, and I know that he's talented, but he's always kind of seemed like, he did his thing, whereas with Pearl, he was like, oh, no, these are all the other movies I would be doing if it was commercially viable. 
But instead, I'll take my obsessions with 50s melodramas or 1930s musicals or The Wizard of Oz and, you know, the Technicolor high camp of classical Hollywood and fit that into this perverse, twisted tale uh, character study, really, of this woman has a childlike mind uh, being raised on a farm while her husband is away at war. And it, I don't know, there's something about it that just feels like, I mean, I guess the way I described it, you know, before was like, like sort of the, uh, the combination of like what Brian De Palma was doing was something like Carrie, which was, he was taking all of his like Hitchcock obsessions and then like fitting that in to this sort of dreamlike melodrama. And then what, in a very different way, what John Waters was doing with his trashy camp cinema that he was doing in the 70s and 80s, kind of taking classical Hollywood and flipping it on its head and pointing it back at Americana and showing you the hypocrisy of of that kind of cinema and that kind of worldview, while at the same time very much in love with its aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. This was actually in my list uh, until I saw the menu. Um, it, it almost made, like, because of everything you're saying, like, it, it is, this movie I found to be horrifying in, in a very different way than Barbarian, um, which had some, you know, m- these moments of tension and jump scares, um, this is, by the end of it, I was, like, disturbed and grossed the fuck out, but also, like, completely in love. Like, it is such a uh, a celebration of movies, but in, like, the most fucked up way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm very excited to see what Maxine turns out to be, the third in this trilogy, um, and what I know it's going to take place in the 80s, so... We'll see what he does with that. Um, and, you know, Ty West, he went from being like kind of a footnote in the world of low budget horror to now being front and center, you know, and getting rave reviews from Martin Scorsese of all people. So, yeah. you know, any other year that would have been a, an easy number one, but... I mean, Keith, what's our number one? It's pretty obvious, yeah. right? I mean, it, <laughs> uh, yeah, of course it's, yeah, it's everything everywhere all at once. See, this is uh, where you should have said the joke answer and said, like, the Chippendale movie or something. Oh, uh, no, it's the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is so fucking good. It it literally has everything. It's funny. It's dramatic. It's got action. It's... Uh, all of these things that feel like it should be too much for any one movie to contain, uh, it does it. It pulls it off somehow. It waxes philosophical in, in a way that I connected to, and I think a large number of people seem to have connected to very intimately. Like, it just... It, it does the multiverse thing, but without being obnoxious... It's bizarre, it's charming, 
it's got a romance at the heart of it. Like it's just, it's the movie of the year. And the fact that so many people are still talking about it and came out relatively early. uh, Mm -hmm. It was the easy winner of our audience poll. One of the cool things about the multiverse conceit of this movie is Daniels, as they're known, who directed this, they're able to sort of genre hop as we hop mm-hmm. along from one universe to another. Uh, you know, telling this sort of intimate immigrant story about a middle-aged immigrant woman who's who has a contentious relationship with her daughter. That's the heart of the movie, and that's what everything well, a, a, sort of... A contentious is. relationship with her daughter and a, a marriage that is slowly drifting apart. It, it's just, it's about right. this family that is slowly drifting away from each other. Right, and and I think that what the movie does really well is it always has that to steady the narrative as it can wildly go in and out of all of these other genre exercises around it within that context. Like it, it's as long as it stays true to the heart and the emotional core of the story, then you can have really broad comedic set pieces uh, and sight gags, or you can have martial arts battles, or you can have this wild science fiction multiverse technology or or you know characters playing multi versions of themselves it uh it's one of the more creative and unique movie going experiences that we've seen in a long time and i i i love the the playfulness and the freedom of the movie but also that it that it managed to have a story worth telling within that yeah absolutely it's it's just crazy to me, like how well regarded that it seems pretty universally. Uh, and I, I know some people who saw it a little later who feel like it maybe was overhyped a little bit uh, for their experience, but it just to me was so clearly like the movie of of twenty twenty two. Yeah, it encompasses. And it kind of encompassed that year, like, you know, all of the anxiety and unknown and trying to put the, you know, pieces of the world back together again, even mm. if that world is just the the taxes for your laundromat. Like, mm-hmm. it just, um, very human movie uh, with some very fun and absurd takes on that humanity right uh yeah it just feels very now it feels very modern it feels like it's the movie made for the tiktok generation because it it doesn't stay in one place too long (laughs) but it also doesn't feel like it's talking down to the audience either i mean and and it's it's not done in a way that it is obnoxious or wells or can wear out its welcome the way, um, you know, both you and I were a, a little cool, um, a, a little lukewarm towards the Daniels other movie, Swiss Army Man, mm-hmm. um, which you can see the evolution from that movie to this movie, but 
man, it feels like they skipped like three movies in between. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, that was that's kind of what I meant by, you know, having a story worth telling. Yeah. Because I, I, th- I thought Swiss Army Man and that movie had its fans when it came out and certainly put them on the map as something to watch. Uh, but they really fulfilled that promise because I personally, I felt like they could have went either way from that point. Mm-hmm. Their next movie could have been awful or could have been this, but I wouldn't have expected movie of the year good. Yeah, exactly. Luckily, I saw this one in theaters um, pretty early in its initial run and I was just able to be fully sort of taken over by it and... Mm-hmm. You know, let everything hit me as a surprise. And I tell you what, I I don't think that I have simultaneously laughed out loud and cried that much in a in a single movie before. Like it's just Like I said, it doesn't stay in one place long too long. So even as it takes you into these really difficult existential ideas. You know, it's it'll be two rocks with googly eyes having that conversation, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's just very, very well done. And I'm excited to see what this uh, team of filmmakers puts together next. And I'd love to see that, like, Michelle Yeoh and and uh, um, uh, Hu Kwan, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Stephanie Sue, all of these people who starred in the movie... Um, I love to see that a movie that really propels them into stuff that they normally wouldn't get to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, if you have any uh, honorable mentions, just go ahead and rattle those off. We don't have to go back and forth on that. Yeah, uh, I'll just go through these real quick because I actually had uh, I have ten. Um, I had tw- a top 20 this year. Uh, I already mentioned Hustle and Pearl uh, made it on there. And X also made it uh, on my honorable mentions. And I think, you know, some of that might be its attachment to Pearl. Mm. Um, but uh, just, you know, very well done, grisly, uh, chop em up exploitation, sexploitation movie. Um uh, Glass Onion made my honorable mentions. Uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness made my honorable mentions. Uh, it was, I think, the only Marvel movie uh, that really stood out to me this year. And um, kind of since you kind of stood out to me more than a, a lot of this Phase 4 they're currently in. Hmm. Um, uh, nope. Nope kept kind of going back and forth with the Weird Al movie as, as to whether or not it would be in my top 10. Um, the Black Phone, uh, another just really solid period thriller. Um, maybe I wanted it to be a little scarier, but it's just a, a, another just very competently made movie. Um, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. For being, you know, the only good Pinocchio to come out this year. <laughs> uh, and a couple surprise action movies that I thought were a lo- uh, really fun time in the theater. Uh, Violent Night, the David Harbour uh, <laughs> beat-em-up 
Santa Claus movie. I did uh, not see that. that. Just, yeah. Uh, we saw it just before Christmas, and uh, we had a hoot. It's just, it, you know, it very silly. It knows exactly what it is. Um, uh, but a, we had a lot of fun with it. And uh, surprisingly enough, a Bullet Train um, was a, just a really solid... It's definitely like a Tarantino clone, but does it in a way that's a lot of fun. And uh, I, it was another one that was kind of a surprise that I enjoyed it as much as I did. All right. Yeah, we have a lot of the same uh, honorables. Um, I'll try and touch on some ones you didn't. Um, I have Elvis as an honorable mention. Uh, again, not just because it's a movie musical uh, biopic about Elvis, which I don't necessarily need in my life, but I thought it was just a great, um, it's, it's Baz Luhrmann doing what he does best. Um, and I like him more as a Baz Luhrmann film than as a Elvis film, but, uh, you know, Austin Butler, I think puts in good work and it's, uh, it's, uh, just a very weird take on that genre. I have the Steven Soderbergh movie Kimmy on here, which was one of the first movies I saw last year. It was on HBO Max. Um, very low budget. Um, him and uh, uh, Zoe Kravitz. Rear Window by way of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo via post-pandemic paranoia. I enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's a, a fun little Rear Window light. I have The Batman in my honorables, I I admired it a lot. Uh, I wanted to like it a little bit more than I did. And I could see Matt Reeves going from this point and sharpening it a little bit more. I think, you know, upon second viewing, I, I did eventually buy it and watched it again. On second viewing, I think my main issue with it is it's just a little overwritten. There's like three subplots all happening at once and they don't do the best job at integrating them all together. And I think that that makes a movie just feel a little too, a little too weighted down to really hold the tension as a thriller. But, uh, I, I do really enjoy the world that he created and I, I will watch more of those. Um, let's see. I have the menu in my honorables. Uh, I have, I have the romantic comedy I Want You Back in my honorables. Um, sort of what you were saying oh. about uh, the Weird Al thing. It's like, it's yeah. just a solid romantic comedy. Yeah. Um, I kind of forgot that was this year. I thought it was slightly older, but I guess mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah. I just, I really like, I really like the leads uh, in that movie. Uh, I think they're really funny together, and I, I think the premise is really funny. It makes for good comedic set pieces. Um, and uh, Yeah, it's totally just a solid like romantic comedy, too. Yeah, a handful of great scenes. Um, so that was most of my honorables that you didn't already mention. Uh, Glass Onion almost made it in my top ten. It that and Barbarian kept switching back and forth. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it gets so much right, but there's just that one element of it that I just wish they didn't do. 
Um, I think you're silly. Uh, no, I, I, to me, it was like between the Weird Al movie, the menu, uh, Nope, and Glass Onion. Like they just kind of kept. If you had asked me yesterday, the list was different. You know what I mean? Right. All right, let's go ahead and get through our bottom fives. We don't have to go back and forth on this either. Um, you can go ahead and uh, and just rattle those off if you like. Uh, so starting at number five, I'm going to throw this one out there. Uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Um, I Ooh. just recently saw this. Very didn't see this. <laughs> yeah. You, you, that was a strong no thanks for me. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's better than the last one in that it actually is a complete movie. The last one is just a total mess. Uh, what was it? The Crimes of Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it it levels up their Grindelwald. Um, just replace every Johnny Depp part now with Mads Mikkelsen, and I'm fine with that. Um, so it, it is better but at this point it's just like who cares who cares about this fucking franchise i i think this one ends on a decent enough note that the rumors about them maybe not doing the final ones or i it's fine let's just end it here like yeah there's so much just forced interaction between characters that have no reason to be in this story and the amount of times we were watching it and going, wait, what the fuck? Like, it's it's just kind of a mess. It's all over the place, you know, in the same way the last one was. It's just like trying to build this story where there really isn't one. Um, the, the first Fantastic Beast movie was fine enough, but um, it really should have ended there. Mm. My number four is The Gray Man. Um, just a... a, a completely unfun uh action movie um just again you can listen to our review of it but it it is exactly what it says it's just a gray blah movie um and even the action uh coming from the russo brothers i expect better especially once you know the price tag of this movie it just it has no excuse to be as boring as it is uh, number three is Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio. An hour and a half in this weird, uncanny valley uh, uh, with Tom Hanks trying to do some character work that he shouldn't be doing. <laughs> um, yeah, just all of the charm and appeal of the original cartoon is just like put in a blender and strained through a colander. There's just nothing really to hang on to there. Uh, my number two was uh, Firestarter, uh, based on the Stephen King book, uh, starring Zac Efron. Um, just, again, another really boring movie. The editing is nonsensical. Uh, the acting is subpar. Uh, it's just boring, ugly little movie. And, and by ugly, I mean it's not shot particularly well um it's just pretty blah the only saving grace is this one is a 90 minute movie so mm-hmm. uh, at least we didn't have to suffer for long and my number one least favorite movie of the year was the bubble um just an abysmal failure of a comedy there's 
nothing funny about this. There's nothing to hang on to. Um, it, it is basically entirely resting on the laurels of its uh, star-studded cast that are all known for doing stuff that you like better in other movies. Uh, just, just abysmally unfunny. Yeah. We have a lot of overlap. Yeah, there weren't there wasn't that many bad movies this year, and I don't think either of us saw Morbius. Neither of us saw Morbius, so we can we have no way of weighing in on that. Although I didn't know if you had eventually caught up with it or not, so I almost watched it just because I was like, This'll probably be on my bottom five, but I don't want to watch a movie just to fill out my bottom five. <laughs> like Yeah. And you're already going in with a anti uh Jared Leto bias. So even before whatever yeah. it is that uh, everyone hates about this movie, but um, yeah, so that is not on my list. Uh, the Gray Man is. Uh, that's my number five. Yeah, you know, it's I. I probably didn't even hate this movie. I think to hate it is almost giving it too much attention. Yeah, I I don't have the energy in me to muster hate. Because it's so low effort in conceptually, it's just every Jason Bourne, Jack Ryan, whatever that you've ever seen. Like any kind of like uh, special agent assassin movie, hunter being hunted kind of movie you've ever seen. It's that. Um, that's the only thing that makes it, you know, go from just mediocre to bad is the fact that. They really tried to pass off this screenplay without adding anything new. Yeah, it's just otherwise, every trope and cliche in the book. Right. The otherwise, only... it's just like another Netflix action movie. It's it's whatever. Yeah. I might get some hate for this. This is the only one that didn't make your list, uh, and I caught this later in the year, but I really didn't like it. And this is a movie that a lot of people who did see it liked. Bros with Billy Eichner. Oh, yeah. Did you see it? I did see it. I didn't hate it. I kind of hated it. I didn't. I didn't like it much of it at all. I liked some of the supporting cast. There's some aspects of it that I thought were interesting-ish. I think the movie really hinges on your tolerance of Billy Eichner as a comedian. And I've never found him particularly funny. Um, even his like Billy on the street stuff, like that's about as much of him as I can I can do in a sitting. Um, and I was hoping this movie would we'd find something new there for him to do, or so he would reveal something else that he does, and he doesn't. It's two hours of a very whiny, self obsessed relatively privileged person complaining about everything throughout the whole movie. And I just, I, yeah, I, I didn't care for him. I didn't think that him and his co-star had any chemistry at all. They didn't, they weren't like particularly believable as a couple. I didn't think it really had anything interesting to say in terms of, you know, subverting the the romantic comedy as like a uh, uh, a gay romantic comedy. Like I feel like that's we've seen that done elsewhere better. 
even in just like television, we've seen that done better. And this movie had come out in like 2003. Sure, I guess. But in 2022, it, I was, I was pretty annoyed by most of the movie, actively annoyed by most of the movie. <laughs> okay. Um, Firestarter is my number three. Again, just a very low effort. Not anything in particular about it that's um, doing anything new or exciting that the uh, the original version with Drew Barrymore didn't already do in the 80s. Not That wasn't a great Stephen King adaptation either, but I'd say probably a little bit better. <laughs> At least there's kind of like a, you know... 80s camp nostalgia to it. Have you read the book? Maybe it's just a bad book. It's it's not a lot of people's favorite book. I'll, I will say that. Especially of that era. Because that was like smack dab in the middle of Stephen King's hot streak. But I think it's also like this concept hasn't aged well at all either, right? Like there's so many better psychic pyromaniac girl stories well like, that's the thing King though is better psychic girl stories right but that's the thing is i think they're the the story is simple enough that if you have a take creatively you can do pretty well with it just give it a good cast and a good screenplay it just doesn't you know give it to flanagan give it to flanagan he would find why this is an interesting story Um, yeah, but that, you know, and with every bad Stephen King adaptation that comes and goes, that's the thing that sucks. It's like, you know, you're going to have to wait X amount of years before they try it again. Um, and that's that's why I'm crossing my toes and fingers for, uh, the upcoming remake of, oh, what's the vampire one? Salem's Lot. But yeah, I, I'm hoping that that one ends up being good, but I'm af- kind of afraid it's going to be another Firestarter or another 2018 Pet Cemetery. Yeah, that was not good either. Yeah. Uh, the Disney remake of Pinocchio is my number two. Yeah, yeah. we flip-flopped those. Yeah. I mean, these are all pretty similar, and even in placement. Um, yeah, I, I just really, really didn't like it. Really didn't like it. It, uh, whatever kind of lingering sense of wonder or mystery or atmosphere is in the animated film is completely polished off in this soulless remake. And which is usually the story with these Disney remakes. And stop it, stop it now. I know they make a ton of money. I don't, I don't know if this one did because it didn't go to theater. But um, traditionally, they make a lot of money. And it's very easy for them to just keep pumping these things out. But I really wish they would stop because it's nobody wants it. And it's not good. And the bubble is my number one. Um, There's just nothing redeemable about that movie. No, it, it's number one with a bullet. It's not even close. Yeah. Like, yeah, the rest like, of these it, are are in some level of whatever, but the bubble is, like, actively offensive. Like, it's 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 everything you it's don't want to see in a pandemic movie. This year. Yes. It's everything you don't want to see in a pandemic movie. 
it's what you dread whenever a movie takes place during the pandemic. And that's the that's the movie. Like yeah, it is like that's so the whole about premise. That. Yeah. And yeah. not doing well with that at all. It has a huge cast of people who should know better. And it's directed I want to say this is Apatow, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, to go from the King of Staten Island to this. Yeah, the King of Staten Island, which was like actually that's the thing, you know, Judd Apatow he always adapts to his subject and he usually sort of focuses in on one character story to to tell. And maybe because this one's so broad and so ephemeral and everyone's just kind of coming in and doing shtick. No one's really playing themselves. He can't rely on that. So he just, it's just a bunch of vignettes of bad comedy set pieces. (laughs) So to me, this feels like pandemic therapy, right? Like it feels Mm -hmm. like he didn't have anything to do. Uh, while we, you know, while the world was on lockdown, so he was like, well, I'll try to make something out of that, and I'll write, you know, comedy about this experience, and it it just, it it feels like, you know, uh, just the kind of thing that should have never come out. (laughs) Like, you know, get get that therapy out on the page, uh, but there, there is no justification for this movie being this bad. <laughs> no, it's it's actually so bad that I'm surprised it came out. Like I'm surprised that people saw the final cut and was like, "Yeah, we'll we'll release this." I would be yeah. embarrassed if I was anybody in that movie, Judd Apatow especially, and I I would probably cut my losses and just like put this in the same vault as that the clown that couldn't cry or whatever <laughs> that that Jerry Lewis holocaust that's movie this, yeah that's exactly <laughs> what this feels like it's just like a it feels like a writing experiment that just went way too far yeah and if this had been just like a series like a series of webisodes or something um it still wouldn't have been good but it would have been easier to ignore but as a movie well, also, we have to kind of look at it as as some attempt at storytelling which it just completely fails at yeah all right. Well, that was 2022. And did you end up seeing, because I thought you said you had seen, it must have not made much of an impression on you either way, but did you see Don't Worry, Darling? I did see Don't Worry, Darling. Um, I almost did and didn't. Um, but uh, did that, is it the turkey everyone makes it out to be? Because it no, wasn't on no, any of I your... Don't. No, I don't think so. Um, I I think it's it's perfectly fine. I there's some stuff that I didn't care for. Mm. Um, uh, there's kind of a uh, there's some kind of twists to the story that I was like, I wish that had been handled differently or uh, stuff like that. But I think it's a competently made movie. Um, I don't know. I didn't think there was anything that was like like terrible about it um there, there there's some stuff i actually really liked about it so i i, I don't know you know it's it, it's a lot more high concept uh than olivia wilde than you know her previous movie 
I think there's some really, really well done stuff in it too, though. So I, I, you know, I think this this is just an example of a. To me, it's an example of a director branching out and trying something new and experimenting, and uh, some of it totally works, and some of it not so much. Um, yeah. Also, there was so much Hollywood backstory backstabbing. Yeah, and it, it, I think it did help that I didn't see it in its initial run, so I didn't mm. have all of that kind of in my head. Well, I think um, more people could, know about that than actually saw the movie. So Yeah, exactly. I think I, it, it, that movie had kind of an anti-marketing campaign. Right. Um so it just is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. thought I would ask. Cause I thought you'd said you'd seen it, and I, I meant to just to say I saw it, but um, – and I still might at some point. I think it's worth seeing. It's it's a um, – I, I like the actors, you know, whatever. But anybody has anything you want to tell us, um, if you want to give us your top fives or whatever – um, or your hot takes or your thoughts and yeah. opinions on any of our list. Yeah. Uh, tell us where we are egregiously wrong. Um, you can email Rip us. Cassidy, a, a new asshole for not liking bros more. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, pull out your canceling sticks if you want to, but I thought that movie was trash. Um, you can reach us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at uh, MacGuffinPod. You can follow us on Facebook. We are still there. Now, many of you are left, but if you still use Facebook for whatever reason, you can find us under the MacGuffin, which is the uh, uh, the website's page, and also the MacGuffin Podcast, which is uh, the one that I update. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review on whatever podcast app you use. Uh, we would love more reviews on iTunes or Spotify, Player.fm, Pocket Cast, uh, Windows Podcasts, whatever, Google Podcasts. Uh, and be sure to follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at VCCassidy. You can read my reviews, including uh, the blurbs I wrote for this top ten list over at uh, the Idaho State Journal's website. Just Google Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment or Idaho State Journal Movie Reviews, and it'll pull up those archives, and you should be able to see my reviews there. And be sure to read the other uh, lists and articles by the rest of the MacGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. I know that editor Alan posted his top 15. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, you can also follow my sh uh, improv show that I'm part of, Improv vs. Stand-Up, on Instagram at Improv vs. Stand-Up. Um, come check out some uh, shows. Uh, we perform every Saturday night at Mockingbird theater um here in san diego uh and i think i'm performing every show for the rest of the month so um come check out a show all right and see you uh in 2023 which it already is